if there's moves to be made, there's progress to be gained. The person that has to do it is the one that people can't do without. Welcome back to another episode of Stories Between Us. We are the place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways so that one day a better story can be told. I'm Stu. And I'm Modi. And we are so happy to be joined by my brother, my friend, my quarterback at Clemson University, Taj Boyd. Bro, how are you doing today? Let's go. I'm I'm excited to... uh, to jump on with you, man. We got a chance to have, you know, some dialogue before the, the podcast yes. started, and it was fantastic. It was enlightening, and I'm so excited to see what we're about to talk about now. Well, actually, I kind of know. You sent me the questions, but I didn't look at the questions, <laughs> yeah. so this is still a freestyle for me, you feel me? So yes. It's like the same way I was right. in school, bro. Like, I was last minute cramming, you know, so we're just going to roll from there. Hey, for real. <laughs> we're just going to get it. I was you know, a, I'm not a, hey, for real. Yeah, I was a crammer yeah. too, so... <laughs> Yeah, because I'm not type A, so I, I am a procrastinator of procrastinators. My God, bro. Creative minds, oh, though, man. That's goodness. how they work, right? Yeah. You know? Right. And Wasn't that like conditions. Adam Grant? Adam Grant the originals. Wrote a, or did a podcast? Yeah, did like yeah. a podcast or a book on that joint about pro- uh, procrastinators. It's like it's, that yeah, time right of... Yeah, it's like, um, you know, like they'll find ways and a lot of it is just being able to streamline time but like when you're talking about being compressed down to like moments like your brain just operates at a very very high capacity man so like either you can't or you can and the fact that we can is an issue because that's something that we'll continue to struggle with is like you know what i'm gonna get it done regardless it just you know (laughs) it could be a better effort you know but that's real yeah so because of that dante found a type a (laughs) co-host let's go That's straight up. Modi, for real, for real. Because I was like, hey, if there's anybody I want to co-host with me is Modi. Because I know not only is Modi a visionary, uh, but Modi know how to get it done. I mean, I'll be over here like, I'm struggling posting on Twitter right now. I mean, Modi over here crushing Facebook and IG. Just like, what am I doing? So, Todd, as you look at your story, what are those key and defining moments that help you understand who you are? You know, to be honest, it's still an ongoing journey. You know, I'm actually in this phase right now of of self-discovery. But it's not like it's just happened. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, this is a, a path that I've been on for the last two or three years. And a lot of it happened because, like, the things that I had envisioned playing out the way they were supposed to in my eyes didn't and it kind of derailed that and so there's been this journey that i've been navigating man and i'm surrounded by great people and you know trying to have great internal dialogue as well but you know when you look at defining moments key moments and what that looks and that sounds like i think it's everything i think it's every high i think it's every mm. pitfall i think all of it right now is an accumulation of all of that and so mm. without those moments we're not having this conversation right now so i don't wish anything away i'm thankful for all of it uh, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, when the smoke clears, I'll be better because of it. That's so real, bro. And okay, we got one straight up <laughs> defining moments that we got to talk about, bro. Fourth and 16, bro. Tell yeah. the people the story. Okay, Man, tell the so, people the story. We need well, the story. Fourth and 16, like, <laughs> is one of those one of those plays in, in football and lore that continues to grow. It's like a tall tale. So mm-hmm. there was... Um, 
situation we were playing LSU, and this was 2012. Go back, check it out. Just type in Clemson 416. It'll pop up. Amazing. But (laughs) it's fourth down (laughs) and 16, and all hope was lost. And there was no way that this 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 team is going to convert to get that first down and move those sticks and get in field goal position to win the game. Fourth and 16 happened. We converted. We hit a few more passes down the field. Chandler Catanzaro kicks a field goal. We unearthed one of the top football programs in the last three or four decades, and it really was the ascent of Clemson that we know now. So, you know, for a lot of people, it, it's you know one of those defining moments. Um, you know, for me, I was just living in the moment, you know, and I, mm. and I think that's a lot of it. You know, I was in flow state during most of that game mm. right there. And so, mm. you know, when you're in that moment and you start to realize what it looks like to, to have synergy, to be able to operate at such a high level, you always try to figure out ways to get that back through just your daily life, you know? And so, mm. like we talked about, we're procrastinators, but if you can find a flow state dog, bam. Mm-hmm. Ain't nothing that you can't not do, you know? And so we're just trying to figure that out. But um, 14, 16 gets longer each week. You know, I, I actually hear wow. about it, to be honest, about 20 times a week. Gas station, really? Grocery it's store. still, get, hold on, hold on, bro. It's a little like, overwhelming, bro. Yeah. Eight years later, bro. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming for me, bro, to be completely honest. Wow. It's a little stressful just because I'm like, damn, like I got all these things that I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm accomplishing that I'm doing. And I think people yeah, are so wow. familiar and comfortable with me in that moment that they can't see me for who I am right now. And that's something that I struggle with right there is because, like, I don't know if people see growth. They see that, and that's what they remember, and I appreciate that so much. I'm not taking it for granted. The fact that we were able to, uh, you know, converge into somebody's storyline in their life, bro, like, it's amazing it when you think about the concept. It though. is. Like, Real talk. You know, Real talk. I, I mean, it's crazy shit, bro. I, literally, we're sitting there, something that we were able to do in a moment was able to impact thousands and thousands of people for the rest of their thousands. lives. You know, they're mm. here, they're born into this world, they die, and that's one of the moments that they're going to take with mm. them. It's beautiful to me, man. I'm thankful for that. But mm. 4th and 16 gets longer. It goes from 4th and 16 to 4th and 20. Wow. And one dude was like, man, that 4th and 22 was awesome. I'm like, cool, you know? <laughs> I think it's what it is, but... <laughs> yeah. Wow. So speaking of, like, um, so I'm going to just be real honest with you. Yeah, I know football, but I don't know that detail of football, hey, right? Hey, we got we to put Modi on. We got to put you on, Modi. Yeah, we got to put you on. So, so just just taking what you said, like, 4th and 16th gets longer. Um, earlier, even before we were talking about that great moment, um, you were talking about how you hit speed bumps in your own story. Sure. And then also with the play that you just mentioned. So how – how do you think recovery happens, whether it be um, in the moment for you as quickly yeah. as it is in football or whether it be in life um, trying to fulfill a purpose? Uh, I think it's just really being honest with yourself, you know, um, and so many times like we allow people's thought stream or their their idea of what we are um really convey the message for us that we don't even have ourselves, mm. you know? And so we live that and it's almost like living a lie, you know? And so, mm. you know, you can take those moments, you can take those successes that, you know, people have witnessed for you and you can live off that and you can feed off of that and always mm. you know, look at to this point where it's like, well, damn, I should be because I, I did, you know, or mm. I shouldn't be, you know, at this 
this valley that I'm in because I did. Wow. And then, you know, you just got to get to that point where it's like you are and I am like mm. in this mm. moment right here. And so it's so, mm. so important because a lot of that for me was, again, it's actually called the looking glass self theory is a, it's a psycho psychological kind of a uh, realm in which this sits. And so, mm. you know, the success um, was a good and a bad thing. Right. Because success mm. after a while became expected. You know, I had worked wow. so hard in mm. my craft growing up um, that even the things that I did very well, I just thought were a byproduct. And they were, you know, mm. and like so there was no reason to celebrate. There was no reason to, to have joy because, Taj, that's mm. what the hell you did your whole life. Why would you expect anything mm. different? And mm. so what starts to happen is you take those same things. And you start to go into life like that. You start to have conversations. And so you create this narrative and this dialogue for people of what they think of you that doesn't even exist yet. And so mm. I would go into a grocery store or I would go into mm. the mall and I would already walk into these places. You know, people would say hello. And when I didn't uh, ascend to the NFL and do all these things, I looked to them and it was like, you know what? They probably think I'm a failure. And so you start to walk around like mm. that, you know? And wow. so you create this whole false narrative and shit. It's crazy, man. It's a whole deal. But, you know, long story short, like the one thing that I realized and the one thing that, that Modi, you and Stu um, also understand is that the things that people go through, the things that people experience aren't new themselves. And so the mm -hmm. fact that you can have dialogue, but you got to be willing to and not let pr pride get in the way of that. You know, there's humility in that. And so I started to reach out at that point reach out to people who I admired mm. reached out to people and just not even knowing it, having a conversation with people at a bar. And so everybody's your teacher or mm. it can be, but you got to be open to that because you know, what you experienced in your life, somebody also has in a different capacity, you know? And so mm. that's why I, I am thankful for every conversation I have with everybody. And I'm willing to, to listen to what they got to say, which is so crazy because we talk about where we're at now in society, you know, so many people aren't willing to do that, right? They're, right. they're willing to, they're wanting to justify because they don't want to change their thoughts or opinions of what they believe is right or wrong. You know, it's crazy. Mm. Mm, that is mm. crazy. You know, my mom taught me a long time ago when I was young to not regret anything because the decision that I made at the time I made because I felt as it was the best sure. decision. So, mm. Um, anything that I have done in my life, like for instance, my original plan was to go to the Air Force Academy. I didn't end up going for many reasons, um, but I ended up not getting accepted in and I had to go active duty. But if I hadn't have gone active duty, literally none of this would have happened. I wouldn't have been in basic with Jasmine. I wouldn't have met Dante. Right. And I, I wouldn't, I literally wouldn't be where I am today. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons that my mom taught me that um, being regretful is kind of a waste of your time because sure. whatever you were presented with at the time, you made a decision for what you, what you thought was the best. So there's no point, you know, you just move forward. Yeah. You know what? And there's, <clears throat> you know, so many times we'll let those things paralyze us or cripple us thinking about or what could have or what should have. And there's there's progress in pain, you know? Mm, like it's, wow. you know, there's something there, you know? But you got to be willing wow. to step through it and keep going forward and not letting that one thing defeat you. And so I got this mm. 
over the years, man, like all of my tattoos, they mean something for me, you know, whether it was mm. a time or a point in my life, uh, I wanted something that was symbolic of that. <clears throat> and so my most recent one was a rock hammer and I'll get to that a little bit later, but my favorite piece is, uh, I got a gas mask on my thigh with the word breathe oddly enough, mm. right. Going across mm. it. And I got this, I don't know, two years ago. And so the fact that, you know, there's people in society that aren't even letting us breathe is crazy. But, you know, mm. the things that we breathe in, the things that we, we take in, um, you know, emotionally, physically, um, the air that we're breathing can be toxic. And so we got to mm. find ways to filter that out, whether it's through conversation, which is why, like, you know, I tell kids all the time, they're like, well, what's your routine look like? I said, well, shit, man, like before I go to bed, instead of watching TV, I read. You know, I decompress mm. a little bit, man. I try to meditate mm. a little bit. I stretch a little bit, you know, whatever it may be. Mm. But at some point, man, like you got to be wary of what you're taking in throughout the course of your life, because if not, you'll let those moments control you. Mm. Wow. Yeah, man, that's wow. That's <laughs> we could just stop right there, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but, you know, this reminds me so much of, you know, uh, a, a poem from um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar uh, from back in the day, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, he wrote the poem, We Wear the Mask, uh, where he writes, you know, he writes this. He said, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts with smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise? In counting all our tears and sighs, nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. Wow. He says, we smile, but oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from torture, souls yeah. arise. We sing, but oh, the day is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. Yeah. We wear the mask. How does that hit you, Taj? Oh, my gosh. I mean, like I... You know, I had a mo I had those moments. I still have those moments. So I go see a friend of mine, my old roommate, and he was like, "Man, like the problem with me, like personally, is like I wear my unintentionally wear my emotions uh, on my sleeve, and a lot of it is because I smile, you know." Mm. Um, but over the years, man, I have learned to really conceal everything, compress all the emotions I had because I had to perform. Mm. Right? You know, like I I can't afford to like be truthful with people because that's not going to get the results that I need from them at that moment. And I think that's where a lot of the stress and the burdens come. It's like, damn, when can you just be real? You feel me? Like mm. if you're too real mm. then people don't, they're scared of that because it's unfamiliar to them. Mm. But at some point, mm. like you just got to be real, keep that shit a hundred, man. Like, you know? And so mm. I did, I wore, I wore a mask for a long time, man. And you know, the saddest part about it is, is the people that exude happiness um, externally are the people that are hurting the most internally. And so wow. that's why, wow. like, you know, there was, there's, uh, there's important questions that need to be asked and I need to, to people need to stay on these questions, not just asking mm. and jump to the next question. When we ask somebody, how are you doing? Really mm. ask them how they're doing. Don't just be like, Hey, hey how you doing? All right. Catch up with you. No, 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 no. If you really, really care about a person intentionally mm. and ask them how they're doing, let them tell you. 
and tell them to be honest because shit you'll find out a lot but so many people don't ask that question because they just assume that everybody's doing all right because of how they look on the surface so Mm, man that's so real bro and i think you know even you know as you were sharing earlier bro about you know people wanting to keep you at fourth and 16. yeah and and i think about that you know even as we think about some of our teammates man you know, and other athletes that, you know, it's hard to move beyond fourth and 16. <laughs> right. Because fourth and 16, you know, provided such meaning for us. Yeah. And at the end of the day, though, you know, it it takes incredible courage to move beyond that to say, you know, hey, yes, that was me, but I'm somebody different now. Yeah. And too often, especially when you're talking about, particularly black athletes in sports, you know, people only love us because of the type of performance that we have for them. And they rarely, if ever, love us because of the person that we are. Rarely. It's like, you know, it's like the whole idea of, you know, shut up and dribble. It's the whole idea (laughs) of... You know, stand up for the anthem. It's the whole idea of, you know, we will say, you know, Black Lives Matter. uh, But when it comes to legitimate ways of, you know, loving not simply black athletes, but the black community and really speaking honestly to black oppression Mm -hmm. in this society, it's like, okay, all right, we got enough of that. It's time to get back to football. And it's so not simply destructive, but it's so dehumanizing for Mm -hmm. us and i just yeah it's and it's something you know that that in some sense i don't know if we ever move beyond it um so where do you see the role of black athletes amongst this um time of civil unrest and also what are some of your lessons as a former black athlete at clemson well you know for the first part of that question i think i think for the first time, people are really, really having a hard look in the mirror uh, at themselves mm-hmm. and, and where they stand right now. And I think a lot of it is because for the first time, I've had this this understanding um, that I am black, right? Mm-hmm. But I also, I have I'm black, and I I've had a privilege, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like so, I'm mm-hmm. like. The, the fact that like I finally understood like that I'm black but I have privilege being what I've been doing what I've done just to the point where like not even thinking like you don't think about it you know but like one guy walked up to me one day mm. uh, a few years back and was like you know Taj you're just you know pretty much what he was saying was that I'm everything he would want a black person to be he said I wish there were more like you oh and he said it as a compliment. Right. And I sat there and really lathered on that for a while. I really just was thinking about it. And I was like, damn, mm-hmm. I'm no different from anybody in the neighborhood. You know, I just, I, you know, created an opportunity. I grinded, put myself in position, was able to, you know, get an education, was able to articulate myself, but like, I'm no different. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, mm-hmm. that, I felt like I'm no different, but yet I am uh, in the grand scheme mm. of things in the perception because of who uh, is 
who sits at the, in a hierarchy hierarchy status, you know. Mm. For the first time, I was like, "Damn, you know, I need to I need to really start to to acknowledge everything that's happening, understand where I'm at, educate myself." Mm. And if I'm not willing to do that, then with the platform that I have, then I need to give it to somebody who can. Mm. And so, mm. you know, there was just, um, you know, with everything that's happened. Uh, as of as of late, uh, with the protests, with the universities, and all these different things, um, with talking to Stu over the course of this, you start to realize for the first time uh, that, you know, although you're a black athlete at a school in the South, there was two different stories. Mm. Yes, the the yes. black the black stories of the athletes, and then there was the black general population in their stories, right. and they don't align. Right? They're right. completely different. Mm. So we don't actually mm. see things for what they are because, you know, there is a rose-colored glass on that. There's a mm. there's a, a rose-colored glass, there's an orange-colored glass, wherever you go to university at, there's mm. that colored glass sitting up there, you know. Mm. And people will look at you different, they'll treat you different, they'll talk to you different if you don that uniform. Mm. You take that uniform off and now you got nothing to offer them, so there's no dialogue there. There's no conversation. Wow. And so... Even in the professional ranks, I think that's where people stand. And I think a lot of people want to keep athletes where they are um, because of the entertainment and the joy that they bring to them. And they don't want to see them in a different lens because then they can't associate with that person. Right? Mm. I, like people don't mm. want to not like you. And mm. once you disagree with them, well, they don't like you anymore. And so, damn, I can't like that player because I don't like what he stands for. And now we've got wow. some confusion here, you know? And so mm. athletes are in that point. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? You gonna mm. play the card, mm. or are you gonna you gonna keep it real, man? And so, I think we're starting to see a lot of people step out of the box. And and, and a big component of that is when you see what's happening with uh, these the game's biggest players. You got LeBron, who's out here starting company after company, mm. creating positions and leverage. Again, a lot of people don't speak out for fear of retribution, right? Mm. You know, so like you're you're like, well, they have a platform. Why don't they use it? Because they don't write the checks. Mm. they got to answer to exactly. somebody you know what I'm saying? so you want, them, you want them to potentially cancel their livelihood right. speaking mm. on something and now they're in the same boat as everybody else and they can't help you know it's so a tough I position bro it is you know and so now i think finally people are starting to i don't think that uh, all these athletes have um leveraged it correctly mm. but they at least understand mm. where they sit on the power structure and they do have the power so mm. it's wrong yeah, bro. I and I think, you know, better. I, I yeah, yeah. And I, I read a book not too long ago uh, by William C. Roden, and it was entitled The $40 million Slave. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, one of the one of the challenging things that, you know, he shared was that, you know, oftentimes the role of the black athlete, you know, in order for that role to exist, you know, in some sense, the black athlete must be cut off from the black community. Sure. That that you can, in some sense, be connected to your tradition, or at yeah. least, you know, in the more radical, you know, socially critical parts of your tradition, um, and and really make it um, yeah. in 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 this kind of context. And I know I, I'm I'm so interested, bro, in like how you know a Colin Kaepernick moment, mm -hmm. a Black Lives Matter moment, a Donald Trump moment. A George Floyd moment, Amar Arbery 
I'm so interested and we may not even have to answer this, but I, I would love to engage, you know, this like, like, what is it like? How is it changing sports in this moment? I'm so interested. Yeah, um, I think I think we'll see. Um, because I actually, you know, there's still a lot of people that don't wear Nike, you know, mm. because yeah. Nike went on track to a stand mm. with cap. And so I think we'll really figure it out, which is why a lot of these universities, a lot of these coaches uh, weren't willing to make statements because they understand what their fan base looks like, their support mm. base looks like. Where's the money coming from? You know, I can, you know, and that's what's, you know, what what's wrong with it. Um, you know, if, if you're to the point where that is the one that's handcuffing you from a monetary standpoint, then that's, those are issues mm. right there that need to be addressed. And so, you know, mm. the reason that it was so important for coaches to come out and speak is because, again, you're talking about, we'll use football specifically, but with every sport. Uh, primarily speaking, at least anyways, outside of baseball and soccer, the, the America's greatest sports right now, football, basketball, um, include a fan base that's predominantly white mm-hmm. with the athletes being predominantly black. Right. And so you got, you know, this group of people who support these players up until they don't, Make but they never money. identify with them anyways. Right. But they identify with the coaches because there is some sort of similarity there and race right. is that. And so it was vital and it is important that these coaches continue to push the issue. The reason that so many people get upset when somebody talks bad about uh, a coach or a professor or somebody that they view uh, in a higher status and a higher level is what we talk about when we talk about idolatry. If that's my if that's my perfect human being, if that's everything that's good with like this university or life or business, or, you know, exactly, then what happens when people attack him? Now mm-hmm. it's an attack on mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. I don't think that I'm better than that person. So if he's wow. not good, then I'm not good. And that's a mm-hmm. tough conversation wow. to have with people. Yes, so, wow. Right. That's real. Yeah. So if I can, I'm going to ask a little bit of an uncomfortable question. Yeah. Um. I, from the outside looking in, from someone who kind of had to learn um, American sports and who kind of learned them in the same, um, in the same time frame that I learned about the unfortunate history of enslaved African people in America, the, the similarities to the industry of sports to slavery Mm. is vast and mm. the valument of black men's bodies and their physical capabilities over who they are as human beings are still prevalent to this day just referencing what you were saying the audience is sure. pro- predominantly white mm. right and the athletes yeah. are predominantly black how does one step out from that shadow especially after the civil rights movement right like you were saying that that athletes are kind of finding out where they are in the power struggle um how how is the the industry going to move forward with this image kind of being shattered and with this power struggle hopefully um being evened out at the end of this wow um i don't 
necessarily know. I, I do know that if there's moves to be made, there's progress to be gained, mm. then a person who does it has to be one that they can't do without. Mm. 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 Oh man, no. you may have to repeat that real quick. Yeah, yeah. Go, go wow. run that back, Turbo. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you say stuff, you don't know if you can yeah. repeat it or not. Then it sounds so good. <laughs> if you can't repeat it, just go ahead. Yeah. But that was good. I mean, it was something like you know, like if there's if there's progress to be gained, then the person that has to do it is the one that people can't do without. Mm. Wow. You know, like I, I think mm. it's to that level um, because you can have everybody. In their moms and everybody that's in the background who's pressing for change, but mm. it only takes one. Mm. It only takes one. It doesn't take the masses. It takes one. Mm. And you know, I think we'll get to a point where guys will have to legitimately, the same way, like these, these guaranteed contracts, like MLB, like NBA. There was always a sacrificial lamb. Mm. Mm. In order for those guys to get their fully guaranteed contracts. All right. But that whoever that was didn't reap the rewards of that. Their ass was gone. But wow. it was for the greater good. Mm. I think Cap started something. Mm. And somebody else is going to have to take that torch over and finish it. You know, and mm. it's just going to be who steps up to the plate at that point, you know? Mm. That's real, man. And I think, you know, that 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 kind of segues into a great conversation right now that's happening, you know, of black athletes and HBCUs, Um, Mm. you know, as we think about, you know, Colin Kaepernick and, you know, the the imagery of the sacrificial lamb for the greater good. Yeah. Like, I I just wonder, you know, how. Yeah. Like, like, is this a moment for us? You know, what do we gain or what do we lose? Um, with black athletes, you know, saying, you know, hey, it's time to go to HBCUs. Is that legitimate or, you know, this is no right or wrong answer, but I'm just wondering how are you, you know, as we kind of looking at this, this situation, the, the conversation that's happening, how are you navigating it uh, right now? Yeah, you know what, man? Like, Modi asked me a question earlier. Well, she was like, she's in Hampton, Virginia, literally right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Hampton and I can like, I can't recall much from that time period, you know, like I remember games, plays, you know, my guys, you know, going to Black Mac, which was a McDonald's over there in the cut where all the, you know, the surrounding neighborhoods, all the fights, all these different things. (laughs) (laughs) But there was, there was a, like, there was a question that these two women asked me, like, I never forget. And I never did. Um, And they asked me, and it was like, why would you go? Why would you not go to Hampton? Norfolk State Mm. and at the time like I was kind of offended because again Mm. my idea of what success looked like wasn't that and so I looked Mm. at it as lesser than Mm. you know and I think so many athletes Mm. had that same perception because if they want to reach the highest level there's only one round Mm. to do that and I don't think that's the case I think it's multiple ways that you can get there obviously we've seen it but Mm. it would have to take an influx of people like I was a five-star player coming out of high school it would have to take you know a guy like myself a few other guys mm-hmm. to really start some things mm-hmm. in motion and not mm-hmm. just do it out of necessity, but do it because we want to do it. With and, purpose. Mm. Right. You know, mm. but then there has to be, there has to be a whole shift. There has to be uh, monies involved. These universities need to have to, they're going to have to upgrade facilities. Like yes. if you mm. want this, then this is what needs to happen on this front right here. Mm. 
And I don't know mm. if HBCUs have the support financially to be able to mm. uh, grab and captivate who they want and really be able to create uh, mm. market value for that. And, you know, we could go so much deeper into that, like economically, like what, um, yeah. yeah, what, what money is being fed into for what purpose and for, for whose benefit. Um, right. But well, yeah. And I mean, yeah, like, it's still to. so new, like right. black success in America is still so new. Wow. Mo- money so is real. so new. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So wow. like, that's you, so good, man. Put, that's put real. Your money where you're about this, but I mean, like, again, the, the, the power at B aren't black and so they don't have mm. like you're not going to see these endowments that look like what they look like you know at Harvard or Yale or any of these Texas mm. A&M you know what I'm saying but I think you know we talk I mean we might we probably won't see it in our lifetime you know but yeah 100 years from now I think that you know things will shift in a different light um, simply because people have the means to you know so Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's real. That's real. And I think, you know, this moment is forcing us, especially, you know, I think one of the things that I love about this conversation regarding HBCUs and black athletes is that it is forcing black athletes to consider, you know, where we're going. It's yeah. it's forcing young up and coming black uh, people to to ask ourselves the question, you know, what is how do we define success? What is success? Because oftentimes, you know, success has been, you know, going to predominantly white institutions, you know, uh, uh, going to and, and granted, and, and we enjoy Clemson. Clemson, you know, yeah, there was, I mean, you know, smart, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a great experience. You know, Clemson was a great experience. But even now, you know, the question that I ask, you know, eight years later, 10, seven, six years later, uh, post 2014 when I graduated, is I'm always wondering, you know, what are not simply what can I gain in this four years, but what have we lost in those yeah. four years? And and like like now, even being older, I think about you know yeah. you know that village mentality, not sure, that kind sure. of like yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, like you know, you ever seen This Is Us? Yes. Okay, so there's a there's a moment where Randall has an opportunity to go to whatever school he wants to, he chooses Howard. Hmm. And hmm. A, a part of me, like, envied that to a degree. Yes! You know, just because, like, and, but the thing is, like, I mean, shit, I wasn't taking my academics that serious in school. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, did, I did what I needed to do. That's right. That's up, real, bro. You know? like, I'm That's real. State, That's man. 100. Like, yeah, you know, like, we need you to take, uh, we want you to take the SAT over again. I'm like, well, it's good enough to get in, right? It's like, yeah. I was like, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna take it again. It's four hours, and I fell asleep. You know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Well, but, but, laughs> but like, you know, like I come from a, like a long um, line of Q dogs. Mm. Okay, and so mm. like when I got to Clemson, like, and for the people listening, if you know what Q dog is, it is mm-hmm. what is it, Omega Sapphire. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, fraternity, black fraternity, yeah, um, really, really, really like unbelievable uh, alumni group. Um, just, I mean, it's dope, bro. But, but like when I got to Clemson again, knowing what the lineage was that I came from and where they pledged that for those fraternities, mm. I felt like doing it at Clemson was kind of half-assed. 
Right, yeah. You know? mm. And so now it's like, mm. it's really just a whole shift of the thought stream. Again, right. because mm. what I've been told and what I've been taught, I needed right. to unlearn everything and relearn it for what it was. And I wasn't mm. able to do that. I wasn't willing to do that. And a lot of it is because mm. I had uh, nobody in that space to help guide that conversation forward, you know? Because mm. I was the first one to graduate in my family. I was the first one to really go to a college, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, outside, like, my immediate family, you know? And so it was new for all of us, you know? And so I, I think the idea of, and there's prestige in that, the Howards, the the Hamptons, mm-hmm. the Bethune-Cookmans, mm-hmm. the FAMUs, mm-hmm. like, my, if, you know, Modi's in Hampton, like, if you get a chance to go to Battle of the Bands, oh, you yes, know, Battle of absolutely. the Bay, Hampton, yeah. Norfolk State, uh, if you get a chance to go to the Phoebe's Hampton High School mm-hmm. game, like you'll see that same pageantry there, and there's beauty in that. But so many times, like as as a black people, like we got to learn to love ourselves um, for mm-hmm. what we are, because you know mm-hmm. the fact that you know unbeknownst to us, you know being belittled because of our skin color growing up, you know the thought stream that our parents had because of what their parents went through, all these things started to reciprocate, you know. And it's like, you know, the whole idea of, I remember my dad saying, uh, never let them think less of you than you already do. I mean, those Mm. are like, you know, as a kid, like you're getting all of these Mm. things embedded in you without even knowing it. Mm. So you start to create Mm. this self-hate. And I think right now we're in a space of self-love, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's real. Speaking of self-love, bro, like, man, you have been reading like crazy. Um, Yeah, it's been incredible. Uh, to yeah. to to just see your books and talk books with you, uh, you know what have been some books you know over these last I guess this last year you know yeah. that you were like man this has been incredibly meaningful for me yeah. it's been helping me make sense of this moment. Um, I think a lot of what I read is more from a psychology sociology standpoint. Uh, mm-hmm. Just for me to kind of understand human nature a little bit better, uh, mm-hmm. so I don't feel like I'm in the dark. Um, mm-hmm. One is called Tribe by Sebastian Unger. Um, he's a guy who traveled abroad uh, with the military, was in action, um, was shooting this documentary. He did a few different things, but he wrote a book. Um, and there's one uh, one piece in there, man, like that sticks out. And he goes into these war torn countries, and he talks about how although people look at it like they're third world countries, like there's no good that comes from it. Those countries perform better. There's a less suicide rate over there because Mm. while they're all in the thick of it and shit's hitting the fan, that's the reason that they're a community. Mm. And so through that struggle, through that, 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 that brokenness, they actually have triumph and they have some sense of normalcy there, which is why, like you'll see, you always wonder why like so many wealthy people, end up offering themselves and it's because there's no community there it's just them and Mm. them alone and sharing that Mm. and so same thing with like athletes man like the one thing i spend a lot of time with military veterans and we're very similar in some capacities um we went to war in a different light um but we've Mm. always 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 been a part of team we've always been Mm. a part of community and then you get Mm. into society and realize that damn it's kind of selfish out here Right. And that hurts you because now you don't have, it was never about the touchdowns. It was never about interceptions. It was about the guys. It was about the work, mm. everything that went into it, that led up to it. And so 
you know, even in anything, you can be a damn gymnast, you can be in a book club, like everybody needs some sort of community. We're not meant to live mm. alone. Uh, we're social animals. And so from that standpoint, like, and that's another book I'm reading, Social Animals, fantastic too. Book mm. was written in 1960. If you read it now, it'll read like it's today. So wow. that's how much we've advanced from a from a, <laughs> uh, a human nature standpoint. We haven't that much, you know, so yeah. um, <laughs> with that, um, I got To Die for the People by Huey Newton. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, mm. Again, you know, I, I think, you know, the Panther Party itself, like, that's a whole discussion. But yeah. like, I always, always <laughs> yeah. thought, thought that it was a terrorist organization. And you start to look at it, it's like, not really. Like, they just. No. <laughs> no, no. Like, they created, know. like, all of these free reduced lunches, like, shit, that's yes. what they started. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. it was an evolution or betterment within the community itself. And the fact yes. that they were able to govern that themselves, people were afraid of that, you know? Yes, and the so, government yeah. was afraid of it. And even going into like what you were talking about with the with the veterans, um, like me in the military, there is absolutely a sense of teamwork that you can't really get on the outside. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. where I see most people um, as they transition out of the military. This is all of the this is the advice that I give almost everyone that I know that's getting out that you just have to be socially prepared because yeah. the outside it's it's a it's a whole different beast, right? And the Air Force, or not only the Air Force, but the military really gives you no structure to do so because they groom you to be a robot, you know, for them. Mm. And um, they don't do anything for you to prepare you to be on the outside. But that that lack of, I guess, community is um, is something that kind of eats at, eats at veterans, especially when they come from yeah. like combat zones and they feel like they don't have anybody that they can talk to. So I definitely, I definitely get it. And as you look at this like present moment, um, what, what gives you hope for the future and how do you think, or how do you see yourself um, helping to collectively like tell a better story as a society um you know i think i think a lot of it is in action you know mm-hmm. um like i started a nonprofit six years ago we've done some really awesome things in the community we've been able to um help fund uh startups with brick and mortar we've been able to we've been able to give out uh, you know five or six thousand backpacks with school supplies mm-hmm. in them uh, prom dress drives, all these different things. But mm. I think now we're going to have to start tying in education at a very high level. Um, mm. And so whether it's the youth football camps, whether it mm. is, you know, that back to school drives, at some point in there, like I'm going to have to bring in people who can articulate to these kids what opportunities they have in front of them. And a lot of it is doing stuff that we were told were not fun growing up. And it's, it's really understanding the process of reading, of learning, of uh, improving um, in every capacity because all of it works together pretty seamlessly, you know. Mm. And so, man, like it just it, it opened up my eyes. And I went golfing with a few guys today, and um, one of uh, one of the guys was a former MLB player, Spanish guy. Another was an African American basketball player. You know, another was a, a white businessman, and you know we're sitting there. And, and although the conversation started off as business, it turned into action. Okay, these are the things mm-hmm. that we're going to do 
here in this community as opposed to what we can do to change the world. If you get enough of those things happening in these small towns, these small communities, well, mm. it's a ripple effect and that will change the world in itself. Mm. But a lot of it has to go into the dialogue and the conversations and the action where you stand, you know? So um, educate myself, man. And, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that that's where we're at, um, you know, with all of us, with, with coaches, with, um, you know, hopefully politicians, with, business owners, leader, when we talk about inclusiveness, you know, the only way to understand what inclusiveness looks like is if you actually see it themselves. So, you know, Mm. being able to get people who aren't familiar with an area and not just donate money to it, but to actually go in there Mm. and look at it for Mm. what it is and say, Hey, would you want to live here? Mm. Would you want to do this? Those Mm. are real steps towards progress and action. And I think that's where we're getting. You know, in, in any capacity, uh, I love like and Jordan Peterson gets a lot of flack. You know, a lot of people don't actually like him, kind of a controversial figure. Uh, but he has this one thing that I actually love, and it says, "A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has it under voluntary control." Mm. He says, "The harmless man will stab you in the back, right?" But like when you talk about us what can we do to continue to stay dangerous but understand what it looks like in control okay Mm -hmm. like you know if you're arming yourself with this okay then don't just (laughs) spit it out spout it out just because you know what it sounds like no what are you going to do with it how are you going to use it no i uh, i was telling y'all about this thing that i wrote like i just looked at this book for the first time in a couple years the other west more And so I know my ass didn't read this whole book, but I, uh, I spark read it, spark note read it and yeah. I wrote this little thing in the back, you know, and uh, a lot of it, I guess is like, I, I think when I wrote this, I think about where I came from and how I was able to get out, but how so many of my other mm. friends didn't, you know? And so mm. it says, I could be you and you could be me. I'm drowning. You chose to live. In quicksand I stand while you blossom in a field full of roses, waist deep in sorrow, when not a soul cares, you're overwhelmed with more joy than you can bear. The thought of seeing the sun consumes me. Have you ever been in a dark room with knives surrounding you? You know, you could be me and I could be you. I wish I was you. I wish you were me so you could see. So you could see that a soul with no direction can't see. That is absolutely incredible. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. Well, Taj, my brother, man, it has been incredible. Uh, thank you, bro, for joining us for another, yeah. you know, episode of Stories Between Us, bro. It's been an absolute, you know, honor to be able to talk with you. And I'm so excited, you know, for the people to be able to, you know, hear your words. I think it's going to be very moving, very powerful. Yes. Well, I'm thankful for that, man. And look look at this right here. Like I say, it's all around us. You just got to be open and willing to see it and hear it for mm-hmm. what it is. In this book, The Other Westmore, in the back, there's a resource guide. And it says, here's a list of organizations that are helping youth across the country live up to their greatest potential. There's advocacy in here, all these different organizations. You got mm-hmm. uh, arts education, after school programs. It's all sitting around mm-hmm. us and we don't even access it. I'm myself included. So it's time to start Mm. really diving in, man, and really uh, making a difference where we lay. Mm. Let's go. Let's go. 
Well, thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Stories Between Us. We are, yes, the place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways so that maybe one day a better story can be told. I'm Stu. And I'm Modi. And we are out. <laughs>